Hello again, everyone, and welcome to this week's Bible Study Podcast. Today we will be looking at chapters 9 and 10 in the book of Romans. We still have some health issues in some of our group, but uh, uh, praise the Lord, Barry came home uh, this past Tuesday, and so that's praise. Uh, We still need to continue to pray for each other and uh, text each other and talk to each other during this week. We had a Zoom meeting with Leon this week, and he wanted to remind me uh, to tell you guys to continue with your tithes and offerings, uh, especially uh, including the Annie Armstrong offering. Also, the food bank is still collecting food. Also, we will be ordering new Bible study books. So I need a count from you guys to see how many of you want a Sunday school book, life group book. Excuse me. And uh, we will get those to you. I know some of you actually look at the book. So let me know if you want a book so I can tell Leon. Of course, those of you who do read the lesson in the book, I'm sure you wonder what in the world is he talking about in these lessons as they have very little to do with what I might be teaching. But you also know we dig a little bit deeper, too. So whatever the lessons may bring, you'll certainly get uh, more out of it, I'm sure. So let's get uh, to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this time. It may be short-lived, Father. We just don't have that much time for Bible study, but uh, Father, we do want to take time out to look at your word, to feed upon it. And Lord, we just ask that you fill us with your spirit. Father, fill us with your food, that as we study, that we can grow in a way that's pleasing to you. We're thankful for the good reports that we heard uh, regarding Barry and others, Father, but we still have uh, other health issues. So, Lord, we just ask that you would continue to be with those that have health needs, Father, those that may have financial needs, and, Lord, may your will be accomplished in their life. And, Father, we ask that you comfort them, for we ask and pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. As we continue unfolding Paul's logical explanation of God's plan of salvation, today I want us to look at God's righteousness. God's righteousness as it is exemplified in his sovereignty. So we're going to focus a little bit more on the sovereignty of God. And I want us to look at four things regarding the sovereignty of God. And there are things that are not written in our lesson book and all of that. So all of this is on me. Like I said, you can study the lesson. But I felt compelled for us to take a closer look at not only the righteousness of God, but the sovereignty of God and how it led to God's love and his grace and his mercy and ultimately his plan of salvation. The first thing or principle, if you will, of God's sovereignty is God's sovereignty is shown in Israel's identity. So let's begin uh, 
as we look in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great heaviness or burden and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ or separated from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertains the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. So see, this verse 4 focuses on what I'm trying to get across here. And that God's sovereignty is shown in Israel's identity. He goes on in verse 5 saying, Who are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Recall that many of the Christians in the church there at Rome were Jews. And understand that collectively the Jews had rejected Christ. They, after, I mean, after all, they did crucify him. And quite frankly, most were still against Paul and the disciples and the preaching of the gospel. Yet, of course, there were many Jews who were saved. So Paul took time to reassure these Jewish readers that they did have a place in God's plan. So here in chapters 9 and 10, Paul is going to lay out the righteousness as expressed in the sovereignty of God. And here in verses 1 through 5, we see the sovereignty of God. Again, if we look at verses 4 and 5, who are Israelites? Talking about, you know, Israel, they pertain to the adoption. Paul's already talked a little bit about becoming a child of God and the glory and the covenants, the contracts and the giving of the law and service of God, whom concerning the flesh, Christ came. So Christ came from that. So Paul's going to lay out um, a story concerning Israel and how God's plan of salvation developed through Israel. Paul is identifying Israel as to where and how the first covenant of the Old Testament law and prophets were done according to God's plan, and that Jesus Christ was the end result. Notice that Paul says that Christ belongs to the Jews. Christ came from the Jews. Now, if we continue reading in verses 6 through 13, we find a second principle of the sovereignty of God. And that is the sovereignty of the sovereignty of God is shown in his personal choices. Looking at verse six, not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they shall not all Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham. They are all children. But in Isaac shall your seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted or reckoned for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, when Rebekah also has conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. For the children being not yet born, 
neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the, and here we have a word election that we talk a lot about, might stand not of works, but of him that calls. Now, it sounds like a, it's kind of hard to follow, but really what we're seeing is that just because you are a child of Abraham does not mean you are a Jew. Obviously, Abraham had Ishmael, but even farther down the line, in talking about Rebecca uh, being Isaac's uh, mother, of course, you know, they had children of Esau and Jacob. So what really Paul is saying is this lineage is going to follow a certain pattern, a certain pathway. It will go from Abraham to Isaac through Jacob and eventually all the way down the line until we eventually get to Jesus. Now, I'm sure we've all heard about this term election, and maybe someday we can really dig deeper into it. But the principle here is that God, in his developing and delivering his plan of salvation, he chose certain individuals along the way. He chose Abraham, Isaac, not Ishmael, Jacob, not Esau. Farther down, he chose Moses, he chose Jonah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And of course, God, in his infinite wisdom and foreknowledge, knew of the future and also uh, the people and the actions that he, uh, in his word, tells us about. God chose his plan of salvation to go through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his sons and grandsons in the lineage uh, there was none other. God chose those particular people. But we can also say God chose Peter, James, John. God chose Paul. God chose Billy Graham. God chose Brother Tim. And we can go farther. We can say that God chose you to be a part of his ultimate worldly plan from Genesis all the way through Revelation. God's sovereignty is shown in his personal choices. We see it in the identity of Israel, and now we see it in his personal choices. Now, if we look at verse 21, we're going to see something else. We're going to see God's sovereignty is shown in his powerful will. So if we skip down to verse 21, we see... Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? And if we look at verse 22, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known and endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory? on the vessels. Of course, it says vessels of mercy. But what Paul is saying is God certainly has the power as he has shaped. Of course, we can go back to Old Testament and use the example where, uh, you know, we have the potter and the, uh, the clay and how the potter molds the clay. Well, you have the power to do that. You can shape it into whatever form you want. And God has any 
Uh, God has his power to shape it any way that he wants. And he has shaped it from Adam and Eve all the way through Abraham and then through Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons and grandchildren, all the way down to Jesus, even in today's New Testament world, and us. In God's design, it was Israel to deliver the law and eventually Christ. Now, we can spend an entire semester talking about the election and the will of God, uh, but we don't have time to do that. Maybe one day we can. We might could say that God could have chosen a different route, a different pathway to salvation. But if you look at the uh, big picture, I don't even know if we could do that. We see that this was actually the best way, but it was actually the only way. God could demonstrate his sovereignty, his power, and his will. As we think about his authority and power in creation, his power and authority over death, and how he's able to demonstrate that through, and then here we go with him choosing to do this particular pathway through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the way down through Billy Graham, Brother Tim, and even you. Now, if we were to look at verses 23 through 28, we've already read some of it, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he called, not the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So he has called the Jews, but he's also called others. Now, if we go on down, uh, it says, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people. There shall they be called the children of the living God. So we have people that weren't Jews that will eventually become the children of God. Of course, that's us. Even in uh, verse 27, Isaiah also cried concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. And of course, part of that plan, we understand that that with the uh, coming together of Israel as a nation, the northern kingdom was taken away by the Assyrians leaving only the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin. But, of course, that southern kingdom is what led up to to Jesus about 600 years later. Quickly looking at verses 30 and 31, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were the words of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. So Paul is just reminding us in our lessons a few weeks ago that we cannot live by the law and be saved. Israel, trying to keep the law, could not be saved. But with Christ came the New Testament with faith, and this is where the Gentiles come into the picture. Because of the history and story of Israel, Paul is able to contrast the Jews and the law and the Gentiles who were not part of it at that time But with faith in Christ, 
the Jews and Gentiles can receive salvation. So God is sovereign through his most powerful will. So moving into chapter 10, we find the fourth principle of God's sovereignty. His sovereignty can be explained in the identity of Israel, God's personal choices, and his powerful will. Now we will see God's sovereignty can be shown in human responsibility. If we look in verses 1 through 5, it reads, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For a brethren record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, but not submitting or submitted, past tense, themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. For Moses described the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which does these things shall live by them. Mankind in general has missed the mark, thinking that they could just do good and go about their own self, uh, go about their own salvation. But Paul just explained that Israel could not be saved by the law, so mankind cannot be saved by the law. And then looking at verses six through nine, but the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Say not in your heart, who shall ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what do you say? The word is, the word is nigh unto you, even in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith, which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, and shall believe in your heart that Christ has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now remember, earlier we had talked about the law in the Old Testament was written on stone, but how God really wanted this law to be written in your heart. Here is our salvation. Paul has laid out a logical plan of salvation leading through the Hebrews, leading through the, the Israel nation from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, on down the line, all the way to Jesus. And then we finally get to, I guess what we might say, the big kahuna. I don't know if anybody's writing that now down in, I think, was it Destin? But the big kahuna. And that is, God created man with a free will. We are, people like to say, the crowning achievement of God's ultimate creation. And, and that may be true, but we're not robots. We don't just go around doing God's will as it pleases him just automatically. Just like uh, Adam and Eve. They had a choice. God gave them a choice. And God has given us a choice. If we were forced or automatically did, did God's will, there would be no need for a plan of salvation. The choosing of Israel, the deliverance of Jesus Christ, his son, 
to be uh, crucified on the cross. There would be no need for Peter, James, or John, or Paul. There'd be no need for Billy Graham. There'd be no need for Brother Tim. There'd be no need for you. The righteousness of God is exemplified in his divine sovereignty. And that sovereignty includes his power and authority, but it also includes his love for his creation and his grace, which led to the development of all of his plan in the first place. So we need to hurry up and finish as we look in verses 11 through 13. For scripture says, Whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Therefore, there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is over all and is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To know the righteousness of God and the bondage of sin we've talked about and now see the unfolding of God's plan of salvation. And in this plan of salvation, he gave man a free will. We can go back to Genesis again, and we're reminded of that free choice. Thus, God's divine sovereignty can be expressed in human responsibility, our choice. But to think that anyone, everyone, is included in God's plan of salvation. That's that's pretty awesome. And so we finish up here with verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we've been able to identify then the righteousness of God is exemplified through his sovereignty. And his sovereignty has been shown in, number one, the identity of Israel. Number two, we have his choice. He chose to do it this way. You know, and then we have number three, the fact that we do have free will and the fact that with that free will and in this free choice that we have God's plan of salvation to us through Jesus Christ. How awesome is that? Well, we, I don't know where the time goes. Um, I know it sounds like I'm just trying to speed up and speed up, and I guess I am because we don't have a whole lot of time. But we'll just have to close it there, let you go back, and I like to savor verses 12 and 13. There's no difference between a Jew or a Gentile. We're all, what do we say? We're all sinners saved by grace. Thank goodness. Have a good week, and I guess we will see you will not see you, but we will speak to you sometime this week, and uh, you guys just take care of yourselves, and until next week.